Hi, this is Andrea Borcha. And I'm Charles Wilchin. This is Far Stuff. The Internet of Things podcast. I'm Greg Merritt with Cree. I'm the Vice President of Marketing and Public Affairs. And that means I handle our media engagements, such as you folks, and also a lot of our corporate marketing duties. And John Bakelmans for Cisco. Um, I'm in the Internet of Things Solution Group, and I'm a CTO there, but I'm also running what we call the digital ceiling for Cisco. I'm familiar with Cree because it was imprinted upon me that if I ever buy any uh, flashlights, high-quality flashlights, they must have Cree bulbs. And so this was like 10 years ago, back when Cree was more of an ingredient in other things. What happened between there and now? Because now my entire kitchen is full of Cree light bulbs. What was Cree and how did it become kind of this place that now touches consumers and businesses directly? Okay, that's a long, that's <laughs> a long well, and twisted journey. But maybe I'll, it's too and maybe it's too long, and that's fine no, too. I'll, I'll give you the I'll give you the Reader's Digest version. Okay. Um, so Cree was actually founded twenty eight, almost twenty nine years ago, and it really was a semiconductor company. The short story is we made LED chips. Uh, we also make some power and RF stuff, but we'll talk about that at a different time. Made LED chips, which we sold to companies who were using them in various devices, mostly consumer electronics. So uh, the blue keypad lights on your cell phone, your cell phone screen, uh, various other pieces of handheld devices predominantly. As we continue to evolve the LED chips and make them brighter, more efficient, more affordable, they began to make their way into such things as flashlights. Uh, actually was probably one of the earliest volume markets for bright white LEDs. Then again, as as they became more uh, powerful, more efficient, it became possible to start replacing traditional lighting with them. Really started outdoor. Parking decks were probably the first thing that it made sense. Lots of reasons. They were on 24 hours a day. Vehicular traffic's not conducive to light bulbs lasting very long, if you think about it. And it was also something we could do fairly easily. So Cree was still a, an LED provider. We went from making chips to actually packaging the chips into packaged components. And the real difference was you can easily solder a, an LED component onto a board, like in a flashlight, make, a, make a, a lighting product out of it. As, again, the technology continued to evolve and improve and the opportunity for doing LED lighting became bigger, we noticed that the existing lighting companies weren't maybe as excited about replacing their current technology as we were. So we decided to get in the lighting business. Started out with a single six-inch downlight and progressed over time through organic growth as well as uh, the acquisition of a company called Rude Lighting in 2011 um, to now where we have a, a fairly full portfolio of lighting products, including an LED bulb, which hopefully hopefully you've sampled some of those. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's really the short story. We went really from a semiconductor company and then think about it, we vertically integrated ourselves higher and higher gotcha. up the chain until we became a there was an opportunity supplier. to uh, kind of make a bit more of an impact. Yeah, well, the market wasn't moving as fast as we wanted it to, so we so decided move to move it ourselves. <laughs> yeah, take yes. more of the pie. We'll take that. Nom, 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 nom. <laughs> That's awesome. I remember that there was quite a big deal of it when you first appeared in Home Depot stores, for example. Is that, is that kind of how you entered that consumer market? Yeah, so we first entered uh, Home Depot stores actually with a six-inch downlight. And I'm not going to remember exactly how long ago that was, but it's probably six years ago. I'm yeah. thinking, 
five to six years ago. Uh, with a six-inch downlight, they were actually branded under their house brand. It wasn't actually a Cree brand. We then, when we when we decided to enter the light bulb market, because we already had a relationship with Home Depot and they do sell more light bulbs than anybody else on the planet, that that would be the best place to start. And it's been a, a very fruitful relationship, I believe, for both of us, um, having them be our retail presence. That's really cool. But with so with Cisco, what's what's with the digital ceiling? What does that mean? Well, we believe in Cisco uh, that um, it is time for yet one more convergence on top of the network. And so we have uh, been uh, uh, evolving what you can do over that data network over time as well. Initially, it was just to transport your data packets. In about 1999, we actually did a lot of work to get the voice on top of your data. So voice over IP and IP telephony actually got born. We're now the, uh, the global market leader that we call it now collaboration because it's a lot more than just a phone conversation. We want to do a lot more with it. We've done that 10, 12 years ago with security cameras. Remember that they were connected via coax. Uh, well, that coax went away and it again became IP cameras. And now everybody's using IP-based cameras in the home, wired, wireless whatever, whatever you, uh, you can think of. And we believe that now with, uh, with the evolution of light going from, from incandescent and fluorescent more to LED, uh, you see a great opportunity because of the efficiencies of the LEDs uh, and a technology we've, ha- we've been having for, for a while now called power over Ethernet, where we use basically a port of the network. One port of the switch can actually transport on the same eight wires, you can transport data and you can transport power. And you have enough power to actually now also power your luminaires in the ceiling. So collaboration between our two companies, if we can power and connect their luminaires, and really the first wave of that digital ceiling is about lighting, yeah, that's what we're focusing on right now. And so digital ceiling is a lot more. But uh, the first wave is clearly all about lighting because lighting is happening today. The transition is happening today. And that's what we see as a big opportunity for now to start that disruption of going from, let me call it fluorescent incandescent, but also proprietary to a lot more open. That's cool. And how did Cree first see that connected lighting opportunity that you guys are now working together on? So it came about through a a number of ways. I guess it wasn't just one. One actually was we were approached by, well, we started even before that, uh, our LED business, right? So we sell LEDs, um, team of people who went out and worked with various vendors sort of as a business development role. One of those uh, fellows had a relationship with some with some folks at Cisco. Um, and they, they came to us and said, hey, can we come talk to you guys about something we're thinking about, which was really lighting over power over Ethernet. And we said, sure. I'm sure they talked to lots of other people at the same time. No, we did not. Yeah, you were the only one. You the only one. Exactly. We only asked you to the prom. And, <laughs> <laughs> and the timing was was good because it was at a time where we were starting to realize that LED lighting, because it's solid-state technology, really could go well beyond just replacing what was there. Right? You actually could add functionality that wasn't possible previously. So we started a dialogue back and forth with Cisco, and, and luckily they found some folks who were sort of old, old 
network gearheads <laughs> at Cree so that we understood what, what they were trying to do. And really, we started on a journey of, well, let's go build some of this stuff and see what so we can do. Really with like it. an R&D approach. Just let's it, it play was, and uh, see what it was. It was. Uh, it, was. it really yeah. was. Very you know, cool. they already had power over Ethernet switches. We already had LED products, which, you know, LED lights are DC, DC devices. So actually, it's not that, it's not that big a stretch. It took a lot longer than we thought. <laughs> it always does. <clears throat> You're like, this will be easy. This will be easy. Two we can years do this later. Quickly. <laughs> so it was, it was an op- we saw an opportunity to really address what would be a new part of the market. Cree's DNA is really to go disrupt status quo and disrupt the way people have done things previously, right? Because we believe there's always a better way to do it. And so this was right down our alley, right? Hey, this is, here's a better way to do something that's going to cause us to blow up a bunch of stuff, which was attractive to us. That sounds um, like a lot of fun. <laughs> And the same here. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And John, when you kind of first talked to Cree, I mean, I, I assume that Cisco's focus is mostly, uh, I guess, industrial Internet of Things, large enterprise. And that's what we're also focusing on today, jointly, and into enterprises, into commercial areas, because that's where the opportunity is the yeah. biggest, right? Do you find it easier to jump into this market and for us, it adoption is. to hit industrial first before consumer? And you know why? Because... We call that the enterprise space. Cisco has been, yeah, we were born in that space. And that's where we have growing, been growing up. And we, we have customers in about 75 to 80% of that market. So we're fortunate enough to have a lot of contacts. And, and of course, when you think that those same people you know very well in those customers are the people who are now going to buy lighting, you're wrong. Because IT, <laughs> IT folks are not the people who are going to decide upon upon lighting and, and infrastructure around your around your facilities. Those are other people. So you need to bring other people to the table, and that's the exciting piece of us. And of course, we can't, at Cisco, we are not the experts in lighting. We don't want to be, but we want to partner with guys who, who, are, who are very, very uh, good in that market, who have the contacts. And that's why, yeah, when we approach customers, we approach them together, or they bring customers to us, or we bring them to them. And everybody respects their own kind of um, capabilities. We will make sure that that lighting gets connected in the most secure, performant way. They will make sure that they give you the right lights and the right set of lights with the right characteristics. And that's why this marriage works well. When when you guys are pitching the story, do you focus more on the immediate pain points and like what? what we can solve right now, or is it more like the, the future amazingness that everyone's, you know, salivating for? And it's an ant. It's not an ant. <laughs> it, it is, you know, as, as Greg rightly said, it's not about light for the sake of light anymore. Light has a lot more capabilities. It's about the experience you can create with that light. It's about how you adapt the room for what type of task you want to do in that particular room if you think about work. But it's also about making sure that you now have, have like an infrastructure where you have sensors or upgradable capabilities. Cree has put lots of technology within those lights where, where you can now remotely update and, and, and upgrade and all that. So that is an evolutionary approach. And the evolutionary approach means that there's a lot more capabilities happening over time. And that's also what you're selling. So it's a lot more than just light. You have light, 
which is a lot more capable now because you can color tune it and you can tweak it and you can remotely control it and all that kind of stuff. But it's also future proof. And that's what I think. Greg, what do you think? What do you? I agree with that. And and I guess I'd, I'd like to maybe tell a story slightly differently than which way do we sell it. I want to talk a little bit maybe about the, vis- the vision we, we have for sort of how lighting and the Internet of Things makes sense together. Absolutely. Um, you know, if you think about people, what is everywhere people are in a building besides the carpet, which, you know, it's a little harder to connect that to the Internet. But um, <laughs> um, there's Working lights. Light. Yeah, there, there are lights everywhere. And if you think that uh, an LED light is not just a light, it's actually a, it's a digital appliance. It's a DC digital appliance that has sensors, processing, memory, that's deployed basically every eight feet in a building. So if you think about the Internet of Things, you now have probably the most pervasive application of the Internet of Things. If you think about what that can do for the people in the building, I can now sense the environment every eight feet, right? And it's connected back via Ethernet and IP into my network, so I can collect that data, I can analyze that data. And not only can sense the environment, actually can affect the environment. Every eight feet. So we talked about color tuning and, you know, we actually have a number of our lights that you can make them anywhere between 3,000 Kelvin and 5,000 Kelvin anytime you want. That's a pretty big range. Uh, it's a pretty big range. And, for instance, if John books the conference room and he likes 3,000 Kelvin, the system can know that. And John walks into the conference room, it's 3,000. I come in the next hour, I like 4,000. It's 4,000. You could actually program the lights to respond to the circadian rhythm of the day, right? Because we can go through that cycle. So keep Um, people awake 24-7 for a really important... Or help them them get to sleep. And help them focus. (laughs) Or help them get to sleep. If you think about the context of a healthcare facility, you actually may want them to get to sleep Mm, because they're inside under the lights, which normally if they're fluorescent lights, they don't ever change 24 hours a day. That's perfect. Or in a hospital setting where you're trying to... Exactly. Fluorescence is known for being healthy. We we (laughs) sell that, that vision of, you know, this is a way to pervasively connect to your space. But at the same time, it's got to make sense just on putting in lighting. Just on the economic. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Just putting lighting in the building has to make sense. It's like, like, oh, I love that vision, but it's, you know, cost me four times as much as. as right. I'll just replace spend. all my lighting. Yeah. Um, it sounds it so it, I think, you know, his point was it's an and. It has to make sense. And there's this very powerful vision that lays in front of us. And, and it's not just a vision that, that Cisco and Cree see. Um, you know, John, John mentioned the fact that standards-based open capabilities, we actually embrace that as well. So, for instance, we have a standard API into our, into our whole system. I, you know, I use the analogy of the smartphone, right? People really initially bought a smartphone so they could do email and talk to people. Yeah. What percentage of your smartphone usage is talking okay. to people? Ideally email zero. Today, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because it was a platform that was made available to smart people with good ideas, you now can develop all kinds of capabilities and deploy them on that platform. And we see the exact same thing in front of us with lighting and the Internet of Things. With with the way you space out the lighting, it essentially sounds like you're creating like a mesh network where of, of IoT devices. Are, are you seeing them potentially working independent of like a central hub somewhere 
where the they kind of swarm and and can assess locally? Or are you thinking it's more connecting back to a central data area where you guys are still managing the most efficient way of the lighting working? Yeah, let me give you my my spin on that. So whatever technology it is, whether it's a mesh network or whether it's a a star or a hub, we can do all these kinds of, of, um, of architectures. But what I think is important is that where you're going to see a, a shift where today it might be more centrally, let me call it controlled in a way, I think where we're going to, because of the abundance of data flowing in your ceiling, remember every eight feet of light, every light has a multiple of sensors, daylight harvesting, presence, perhaps temperature. So there's a lot of data flowing in your ceiling. Who's going to deal with that data? Are you going to send it all up to somewhere to a cloud and then come back and do an action? No, you want to deal with that locally. So in our terms, in, in the terms of, of Cisco, we call that the edge. And so a lot of the computing and intelligence and, and the analytics, which will be done on top of that data, will be done in your ceiling. That's why we call it digital ceiling, because it, it starts, there's a lot of data starting to flow. And we see a lot of that local action, local intelligence residing on that ceiling. And so the capabilities we bring to make the digital ceiling happen within our devices, we can actually run applications. So the network can actually run those applications. The network will be, will become smarter so that just like Greg said, the example of, of me walking into the room versus him walking into the room. First of all, the network will know that I'm in that room or the lighting will know that I'm in that room. And then it will automatically adapt to my preferences because the times are now that the room will adapt to you versus me stepping into the room and adapting to room to my needs, like turning on the lights, changing the temperature level. All those things or the days are over now because it's programmable. You can do that and you can even attach it to a calendaring system and it will happen automatically. So that intelligence, the decision-making of that, we see that happening over time in the ceiling based on applications, which cream might write, but perhaps, and I think more, more, I think for sure, other people will want to write their own applications. And if you then don't have an open standards-based solution, then you're locking people in. That's what you don't want to do. You want to keep it open because you want to keep the innovation flowing. That's why there's so many applications on top of the phones. Greg uses an example. It's because of the applications that there's so much uptake on what people can do. We see the same type of uh, capabilities happening. What standards do you care about? I mean, do you envision a world where an enterprise can buy an application from an, another vendor that will run on the Cisco plus Cree stack? Sure. And then, and then in that case, has that standard been defined? Are you working on that now? How does that come together? Yeah, that's a good question. And, and, and so... As part of this digital ceiling ecosystem, uh, we're trying to bring like-minded people together. And yeah, they might be in, in similar industries and they might be competitors, but at the same time, if they're not going to open this world up, they're going to be locked in themselves. So, so we believe that we brought a, an open standards-based protocol to bear initially. It's called COAP, the Constrained Application Protocol. It's a standard protocol on the Internet of Things, which you can use... And on top, on top of which we created a kind of initial information model, a kind of way to say, a standard way to say, uh, turn on, turn off, dim, change color, 
5,000 Kelvin color temperature, 3,000. Very simple way to communicate with your devices, whether those are the sensors giving you back data, whether that's uh, it's a control application telling to the luminaire to change whatever kind of characteristic. We want to do that in lighting, but we also want to do that in other capabilities within the building. So lighting is the first step. The next step is building automation. So the building automation components, wouldn't it be nice if, if the sensor in your luminaire can talk to a heating or a cooling device in that same room without having to pass five different gateways, a building control kind of... Or need its own set of sensors. Exactly. So you, you want to be able to have these systems which are now siloed and disparate. You want to be able to bring them together. So it's not enough to just connect them. They also need to speak the same language and, and a like-minded dialect. And that's what we're trying to do. So that's to answer your question. We've, we've introduced that. We give, our, we give our, our partners, of course, the choice to, to fully adhere to it, to not. But of course, we're telling them, hey, if you fully adhere to it, your chance of other people adopting you, pulling you into the framework uh, because you're open will be a lot higher, like we've seen from day one in our business. We've always done that in Cisco for the last 30 years. And it brought us some good, some good business so far. <laughs> yeah. A little, yeah. a little. Yeah, that TCPIP thing is working out for you. Yeah, <laughs> so far, so good. So far, so good. Are there any particular challenges that really stand out as tough to solve right now in, in this evolution of getting to complete building automation? Well, there are some technical challenges. There are, you know, there, there's the normal challenges with trying to change the way people do things. I think, in fact, you know, the, the, some of the, the bigger challenges are, as I mentioned, we like to mess up the status quo, but the challenge is that a lot of people are doing the status quo. Right. Um, doing nothing is so easy. And, you know, the, <laughs> a, a good example is, you know, we're, we're talking about we're going to power the lights with low voltage, you know, power over Ethernet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's not the way buildings are designed. <laughs> Buildings are designed with high voltage conduits, you know, power distribution panels, et cetera. So we're actually asking the architecture community, the electrical engineers, the electrical contractors to change the way they do business. Now, you know, it's going to help if the people that are actually going to own or occupy the building want them to <laughs> do it. Yeah. Say, like, people bring the checks want it, they like, want it. So yeah. I'm not going to do that. Okay, fine. Next. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and trusting in that that's the, where the future is heading. Sure. I'm yeah. sure there's some skepticism. So, so that's part of what the joint challenge that, that Cisco and, and Cree have is part of this telling the story and, and sharing this vision is you know, pe- people are going to get it and they're going to say, yeah, I want to do that, right? And then that's going to go back to sort of the underlying service industries and the, and the, and the participants in the business and say, okay, I want to do this. Yeah, and, and I think the reason why it might happen sooner than later, Greg, is because people, because of the, the adoption of smartphones and the way you use a phone in your home to interact with, with simple things like my music distribution. I'm not going to name vendors, but there is very simple music distribution technologies, and I control that via my phone. So if I can do that in my home, and I cannot control the lights in my at my work, what the hell are we doing? Yeah. So <laughs> that's your wake up call, isn't it? <laughs> so I I think the 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 adoption of those technologies, of course, it needs to be simple and as simple and even more simpler, right? That is the key. 
intuitive, simple, but... Well, and also I assume it has to fit within the enterprise's uh, management of authentication of... of <laughs> and, that, and that's why you need to bring from day one, when you, when you talk about this, to the facility people who, who are there to, to, to make the workplace the, the, the best place to be and, and bring people to work versus every day working from home. You want to bring people to work for a reason because it's cool to work there and it's a better environment and my eyes are not sore after eight or 10 hours every day. You need to bring the facility folks from day one together with the IT folks. How does that, so, so a lot of your job sounds like it's emotional. How do, you, how do you persuade the facilities folks that maybe they don't have to control the temperature in every room all the time? And so it can work with the lighting to kind of automatically exactly. monitor and, and adjust that. I can tell you that the argument is almost the same for any element of somebody's job or somebody's challenges that you're trying to get them to change, right? If I make it easier for you, and cheaper for you, you're going to go, okay. I want that. Maybe make it look that, good right? while yeah. you're at yeah, it. Right? Sure, okay. If I make it more complicated and more expensive, you're not going to do it, no matter how cool it is, right? Yeah. But if it's easy and it saves you money or saves your company money, ultimately, you yeah. have a strong motivation to do it. The fact that it's cool is just sugar on top, right? Yeah, um, and, and, and they're, what they're really struggling with these days in the, in the, the facility folks, in, in the enterprises, is... is they don't really know exactly what's going on within the enterprise. They don't really know exactly how many people attend a particular meeting, which was booked for five or for 10 people and only two show up. So they don't really actually know what the attendance rate is. They don't really actually know, should they be cooling more or less, or should, should they be putting people more in zones or not? They don't know. With your technology, they don't have to know, right? Well, they do. That's true. But they, I think there is a step-by-step approach because they want to stay a little bit in control of how they adapt it. So like everything, if you can measure it and if you have the data, you at least understand it. And then if you give them the ability to, to profile it and, and to help people make the choice, that's the next step. And the third step is to, to fully automate it and give people extra control. So if I come into that room and the room is adapted to me today, this morning, I, I don't feel as, as 3000 Kelvin-ish. I want, <laughs> I, I want 4000 Kelvin because I like a little bit more brighter light today. I can adjust that via my personal application. I don't need to put 10,000 switches in the, in the, on, on, the, on the wall. It's my app. The app con- connects directly to that particular room and it will adjust. I can say 3000, 4000, whatever I want. So, I think you need to give it the evolution because the people need a little bit more guidance than everything automated. And now I cannot do anything anymore. That's a little bit scary for people. Yeah, for I think. Sure. Well, I'd use the analogy of self-driving cars. We're not going to go from I do everything to I do nothing overnight, right? Exactly. We're already starting to see that, right? You have adaptive cruise control, yeah. you know, collision L- avoidance, lane assist. lane assist. Like, So I'm still driving the car, but... Maybe the cars helping me not do anything stupid. Yeah, yeah. Right? or um, helps you avoid an accident. Or, yeah, right. so and, like we've seen recently, it's going to be an evolution yeah. of a as I get more comfortable with the technology and the technology gets perfected. Exactly, you're going to see that happen in stages. It's not just like, well, one day I'm driving my car and the next day I don't ever drive it again. That's yeah, yeah. Maybe in the Jetsons, but <laughs> yeah. but it's not yeah. going to happen here. Here's the Jetsons. The Jetsons is a world where people go into the conference room and know how to use the lights. 
<laughs> Good point. That never works. It's yeah. Like, oh, does this? And you see people playing with the conference room lights for like a half hour. Like, now, oh, is that the one in front? Is that the one in back? Yeah, but you, you need to, uh, I, I just want to give you the perspective of where we want to take this. If you go into a conference room for just the talk, then the setting of the conference room is different versus I'm going to use the conference room for a video connection. The way the light needs to change for a video connection versus that discussion is different. That I'd like to automate. So if I, if, if, if the system knows that I'm going to do a video connection, it will automatically adapt the light to 4,500 Kelvin because that's the type of light you need for perfect representation of my not so beautiful uh, view to the other side. <laughs> my precious PowerPoint. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you want to make sure that, that, that those type of simple things get automated. So there is a collaboration between, between on one side, your calendaring, on the other side, the, the way you connect that, that local to the remote video side, the way the, the, the room adapts to that particular setting, in this case, a video connection, and that's what we're trying to automate because people like that. People today don't like to have to fiddle around. They don't even know how to sometimes set yeah, up the video. Wanna, you have a VP looking dumb. Exactly. Who can't control his own yeah. life. Exactly. It should be simple. And that's what we're trying to achieve. And I'll yeah. give you a good example, right? So if you turn that projector on. Uh-huh. Let it be stated that the well, witness is pointing to a projector. I'm, I'm pointing at the projector. If, if I turn that projector on in the room. Yeah. The lights over the screen will dim. Exactly. Yeah. Wait, that does that right now? No, it does no. not. No. <laughs> just so when teasing the lights me. are connected to the network, yeah. and that can easily be connected to the, the <clears throat> projector, can easily be connected to the network, right? Project, turn the projector on. It's like, oh, okay, I need to turn off the lights in the front of the room. That's a better world. So we've have been, to go, yeah. which which switch? Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, we've we've been talking a lot about how it makes things easier and cooler, and and empowers people to get stuff done. What about efficiency? Well, that's actually- What the, about money? Tell us the about these- That's part of the story, right? <laughs> okay. So, and I'll give you a good example. You know, just putting LED lights into your conference room versus the fluorescence you had there before. Huge save win. Save you 40, 50% yeah. of your energy, plus you don't have to change everything every, you know, couple of years. By adding occupancy sensors, ambient light sensors, and maybe even some task lighting control, control et cetera, I can save an additional 70%. Wow. So, and we have examples actually right here in San Diego. We have a case study. You can go look at the San Diego Community College. They're saving almost 90% of their electricity for lighting versus what they had before. Wow. And so um, how many years does it take them to pay for that huge lighting That install? depends on how much their electricity costs well, and how often they use their lights. But, I understand. Um, Ballpark. You know, be best case, these systems pay for themselves in months. Wow. That's right. incredible. And how long? Worst it case, to... maybe it's three to five years. That's not worst case, but that's worst typical case. Right, right, right. And how long did it take to get them all set up and integrated? And That's the even better part. So you remember the intuitively simple yeah. discussion we had? Typically, when you put a control system for your lighting in, you have to go put in sensors in the walls and, and the lights in the ceiling. You have to wire everything up. Then you have to go configure everything, and you have to associate, okay, that light and that light and that light should all be... I'm pointing to the ones in the ceiling. Mm -hmm. All the lights in this room should be in the same group, and they should be controlled by the switch on the wall. We actually have to go set all that up. With our system, which we call SmartCast, we've actually automated that entire process. So you can take up to 1,000 devices in a building, hit one button on your 
computer, and the system will automatically provision itself in a matter of minutes. And all the lights in each room will be grouped together with the switch in that room. They will have already set the ambient light levels based on the windows in the room. So it takes a few minutes. Well, how does a, how does a light know that it's in the same room as another light? Is it proximity? Uh, no, that's a great question. So each light has an ambient light sensor. So each light can see light. <laughs> so Very visual good. light communication. Very right? that good. Light, the light in the center of the room will start to flash, <clears throat> and the rest of the rooms are lights that are in a contiguous space will say, I see that. I should be with that per- with that light. Very good. Right? And they each do that. So then I self-discover which lights are in the same room with me. So you could easily add more, take them away, and it would adapt. You would have to recommission yeah. it or do some other things as we were discussing earlier. Today. And imagine how that was in the past. Yeah. In the past, an electrician has to come. <laughs> he has to rewire. He has to take off the power of the entire floor. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. This is like couple of minutes like and you and change play. the entire system. Well, it is plug and play. And that's, you know, instead of if I want to move that light, because I've decided that my lighting design wasn't great. So I want to maybe add some more lights on the other side of the room. I can just unplug it, move it, plug it back in because it's, <laughs> it's an RJ45, right? I don't. So for that kind of retrofit install, though, are you are you doing local wireless communication? Then that goes to a Cisco hub because you're probably not running Power over Ethernet to each Well, there, there are a couple of scenarios we have. So we have SmartCast Power over Ethernet, which okay. is wired using the Power over Ethernet. We also have uh, our wireless, we have a, a wireless SmartCast, which is a, which is a, a wireless mesh. Gotcha. So you can actually cool. do either the retrofit or, now, currently with the retrofit wireless mesh, all of these other capabilities we talked about, about being able to connect into your IP network, aren't yet available. Right, so it's working it's, on that. Yeah. We're working on it. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Um, so there's some router to those that protocol to their their IP network. And and yeah, we we'd like to use what is today the most acceptable wireless network in buildings in offices. I assume Wi-Fi. Exactly. So wouldn't it be nice that it would connect to the same yeah. kind of network? Something that's already yeah. ubiquitous. And, exactly. Yeah. So and it's securable and it's scalable right. and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Right now, are they Zigbee? Are you? What are you guys? Uh, it's yeah. actually it's a variation. We use a Zigbee radio, but we don't use a Zigbee protocol. I see. So you're doing something like sort of Google is doing with Thread. It's got some challenges. I'm kind of curious. Do you guys care about what Nest and Google are doing with Thread? Do you care about Apple you know what kit. Apple's doing, or are you just kind of letting that sit because you have plenty of things to solve in enterprise? <laughs> And you let, can always fix that later. Yeah, let me say that that we're looking at it very carefully because you don't want to omiss the importance of that possible market. Let's be very clear on that. But we don't want to compromise on on scalability and security. And so we're looking very carefully into those. And, and we do not always think that, that the current implementations on some of these have the characteristics needed to actually make it fully scalable and fully secure. So uh, whilst we're looking at it, and of course, we, we'd like to look at, at more standardized approaches we might have to support a number of them together. So you might see a device coming which has a multiple plug-in type of modular approach where you we prefer that would you would use Wi-Fi, but on the other side, if if it's if it would be thread, we'd have a module which can connect to thread and where we then converge that via a gateway function into IP. Something of that. So think about that. 
I, I cannot tell you exactly what it is yet, but, uh, but uh, that's the type of, 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 uh, of idea we're going into. And, and guys, I mean, you guys both play in the consumer space. We're, I mean, we're, with, with Linksys. But yeah, not anymore. <laughs> oh, not, not any, anymore. Not anymore. We, oh, well, we, we sold sorry. that about, what was that, five years ago? Never mind. Five, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So the, the consumer space for us is, is, is we've, been, we've been trying a number of things. Yeah. And we've been seeing that, that probably we are not the, the perfect consumer company. We're much more focused at the, at the professional enterprise, great kind of service providers in the IT space, but also enterprises is our, is our bread and butter. And that's where we're good at because we really, from a user experience, from a user interface kind of perspective, we're much more focused on that market. And so, happily, that's where all the money's at too. So. Well, and have you been seeing that it's more the early adopters are in the industrial space when you can offer them the control and the efficiency? It seems like they'd probably be more likely to jump in and try it. They've got more to gain, I would guess. Well, and things like smart cities, how do you decide who to go after? I mean, I know your customers are yeah. obviously a lot of enterprise. I wouldn't necessarily, I would probably think of a city as a much different challenge. So I, I, uh, Luckily, you're speaking to the guy who has been, uh, I actually came up together with uh, one of the ex-people from Cisco with the idea of smart cities. We call it smart communities in Cisco. Cool. I was a CTO in that space for 10 years. Great. So I, I know a little bit about why and how. It's, it's very clear there is a battle going on between cities. And the reason is very simple. Uh, cities want to attract more people because they know if we can attract the right people, we can scale our economy, we can grow jobs, we can grow new capabilities. That is really, the battle is not about countries, it's about cities. Now, the biggest asset from an energy perspective in a city are buildings. So I think what we are doing here, we're doing a lot of work on the city level and, and outside street lighting and parking and, and all those kind of solutions. But I think what we're trying to do here is really tackle the huge amount of energy usage, uh, I think it's 60%, you know, in every city is used by buildings. If we can help mitigate some of that and at the same time increase the experiences within that building as some of the examples we gave, we have a win-win situation. And I think, um, so if we can create smarter, more efficient, greener buildings within the city, uh, the smart city will also be greener and more attractive to, to live, to work, and to do a lot of stuff within that city. So that, that's our approach. We decouple a little bit the, let me call it the enterprise building focus from what's happening outside of the building because it's different type of people you talk to. It's different type of people you interface to. Of course, it needs to all work together. That sounds pretty significant. And especially with cities, I would guess... The challenge is moving beyond the buildings into the services and getting everything connected in, in a larger scale in that sense. Yes. And yes. I assume the sales cycle is probably more difficult. <laughs> and it's very and long. Longer. Very long. It's very long. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. So the, the closing thought I, I, would, I would like to leave you with is we've talked a lot about the technology, technological capabilities of the network and, and the light. And Ultimately, what we're trying to do is provide people with, with better light, with a better light experience than they had previously. And what makes it better is going to vary from person to person or organization to organization, right? It's going to be the things that are most useful to them and, and preferred by them. Um, so we're trying to both work with our lights as well as with, with partners like Cisco to make sure we build the capabilities in 
that allow people to get what they want. Because ultimately, that's the measure of, of a high-quality product, right, is it works the way I want it to work. Yeah, and everyone's their own individual. Everyone's their own individual. Yeah, yeah and, and for us, I think the key is that that we have some experience in how to connect things together. We believe that that we can help in the way these new things are coming onto that same network. And, and we want to make sure that, that however you do that, whatever experience you bring to bear, that it's scalable, that it's secure. Yeah, that people will, will keep on growing their confidence levels in the Internet of Things. Because I know that people might have the feeling, oh my God, uh, more things are going to be connected. They're going to be watching over me. What's going to happen? Can I keep on controlling my own life? Well, if we keep it under control and you have an opt-in, opt-out kind of philosophy, that's everything we do, we, we create that kind of capability, then I think it's going to be a better world and it's going to increase, like Greg said, the quality of our lives, the quality of our experiences at work, in smart cities, the quality of, of, of you uh, transporting yourself from one place to the other and, and being able to work from everywhere. But so that's the ultimate goal is to make it a better experience for everybody, but it needs to stay safe. It needs to stay secure. And we want to be at the, at the, at the middle, at the, at, the in, at the connectivity of all of those things um, from an experience perspective. I think it's a good marriage because people trust Cree for lighting. People clearly trust Cisco for uh, networking, mm-hmm. for data. Um, so it's it's cool to see you guys working together. Yeah. Greg and John, it has been a delight to meet you and a, and a, a great to talk to you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time. Thank, Thank you. you so much for the opportunity. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to Far Stuff, the Internet of Things podcast. You can find us on the internet at farstuff.com and at farstuff on Twitter. Get in touch with us using the contact form at farstuff.com or email us at podcast at farstuff.com. And this brings us to the end of our thing. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone.